Section four of a description of Millennium Hall and the country adjacent by a gentleman on his travels. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A description of Millennium Hall and the country adjacent by Sarah Scott. The history of Miss Mansell and Mrs. Morgan. Part two. At the beginning of the winter, Lady Melvin, who had less ambition to imitate the real merit of her predecessor than to exhibit her own imaginary perfections, brought Sir Charles to London, there to fix their residence for the ensuing half-year. This made little alteration in Miss Melvin's way of life. Sir Charles and his lady would sometimes call upon her, the latter not choosing to trust Sir Charles alone with his daughter, lest she should represent to him how unworthily she was treated. But as he was not devoid of affection for her, he would sometimes visit her privately, concealing it from his lady, who endeavoured to prevent this by telling him that schoolmistresses were apt to take amiss a parent's visiting his children too often, construing it as a distrust of their care, and therefore, if he offended in that way, Mademoiselle Devaux's disgust might affect her behaviour to Miss Melvin, and render her residence there very disagreeable, which Lady Melvin's great tenderness made her ardently wish to avoid, as she was desirous everything should be agreeable to her dear daughter. Sir Charles could not be entirely restrained from these kind admonitions, from indulging himself with the sight of Miss Melvin. His lady had little reason to be afraid of these interviews, for her stepdaughter had too strong a sense of filial obedience and too delicate a regard for her father's happiness, to suffer the least intimation of a fault in his wife to escape her lips, as a good opinion of her was so necessary to his ease. But as she soon found out these visits were made by stealth, they gave her great pleasure as a plain proof of his affection. Lady Melvin thought her daughter's coming abroad would be as hurtful as her being visited at home, and therefore very seldom sent for her to her house, and when she did, took care to have her carried home before the hour that she expected company, on pretence of preserving the regularity of hours which she knew would be agreeable to Mademoiselle de Vaux. The true reason of this great caution was an unwillingness to be seen with one whose person all her vanity could not prevent her from being sensible was more attractive than her own. Miss Melvin was very pretty, had an engaging sweetness in her countenance, and all the bloom which belongs to youth, though it does not always accompany it. Her person was elegant and perfectly genteel. Lady Melvin was void of delicacy. She had a regular set of features, but they wanted to be softened into effeminacy before they could have any just pretense to beauty. Her eyes were black and not void of vivacity, but they neither expressed penetration nor gentleness. Her person was well proportioned, but she was formed on too large a scale, and destitute of grace. She was not ill-bred, but had none of that softness of manners which gives rise to all the sweet civilities of life. In short, Lady Melvin was one who by herself, and many others, would be esteemed a fine woman, and by many more, ranked only under the denomination of a shoey woman, like Mr. Bay's hero. She was unamiable, but she was great. 
she excited the admiration of some but pleased none as soon as she appeared in the world as lady melvin she began to exercise what she thought only lively coquetry but her entire want of grace and delicacy often made that appear like boldness which she designed for vivacity as her ambition to charm was as great as if she had been better qualified for success it is not strange that she did not choose to give opportunities of comparison between herself and her daughter who though not so striking at first sight was filled with attractions the contempt which her ladyship thought she must in justice to her own understanding show for her husband's and the supercilious coldness with which she treated miss melvin made that young lady very glad that she was so seldom sent for to her father's house but she wished to learn such accomplishments as while she lived in the country were out of her power and therefore intimated to lady melvin her desire of being taught music and drawing with the better hope of success as the necessity of completing her education had been made the excuse for sending her to a boarding-school but this request was denied her on frivolous pretences the real cause when she perceived the very extravagant turn of her stepmother she soon understood was to avoid expense she had flattered herself she might obtain permission to have her books sent to her but upon inquiry found that lady melvin had removed them to her dressing-room and intermixed them with china in so ornamental a manner so truly expressive of the turn of her mind where a pretended love of reading was blended with a real fondness for trifles that she had no chance for this indulgence while miss melvin was suffering all these mortifications from a parent miss mansell was receiving every proof of the most tender affection from one bound to her by no paternal ties mr hintman as soon as the season of the year brought him to town visited his little charge and was charmed with the vivacity which was now restored to her he called upon her frequently and seldom without some present or a proposal of some pleasure he would continually entreat her to make him some request that he might have the pleasure of gratifying her he frequently gave mademoiselle davaux tickets for the play and the opera that the young louisa might have somebody to accompany her but as miss melvin did not think it proper at her age to go often with only her schoolmistress or according to the language of schools her governess miss mansell frequently declined being of the party rather than leave her amiable friend and instructor there was no one who showed any particular civility to miss mansell but received some return from mr hintman miss melvin was very deservedly the chief object of his gratitude but as she declined accepting the presents he offered her he chose a way more agreeable to himself as it would make his little louisa the rewarder of the favours she received he therefore was lavish of his money to her and entreated her to lay it out in such manner as would be most agreeable to herself and miss melvin at the same time asking her by what means she could most gratify that young lady miss mansell said she knew nothing that would be so acceptable to miss melvin as books to this mr hintman replied that since that was the case he could very easily accommodate them for he had by him a very pretty library left him by his sister about a year before which he had never unpacked having most of the same books in his own study this accordingly he sent to miss mansell 
with proper bookcases to contain them, which they immediately put up in their apartments. This was the most agreeable acquisition imaginable, for Miss Hintman, having been a very sensible young lady, the collection was extremely valuable. Mr. Hintman's great indulgence could not fail of receiving from Miss Mansell the wished-for return of affection and gratitude. Whenever he came she flew to him with delight, caressed him with all the fondness so enchanting at that age, and parted from him with the extremest reluctance. Her great obligations to him were the frequent subjects of her discourses with Miss Melvin, who had the highest admiration of his generosity. His allowance to Miss Mansell was sufficient to have defrayed all her expenses, but those were to be the care of Mademoiselle de Vaux, for the money he gave Louisa was for no other purpose than her gratifications. Necessity or even usefulness was out of the question, everything of that kind being provided for her. Nor was he more sparing in what concerned her education. She learnt dancing, music and drawing, besides other things generally taught at schools. But her greatest improvement was from reading with Miss Melvin, who instructed her in geography and in such parts of philosophy of which her age was capable. But above all, she was most attentive to inculcate into her mind the principles of true religion. Thus her understanding opened in a surprising degree, and while the beauty and graces of her person and her great progress in genteel accomplishments charmed every eye, the nice discernment and uncommon strength of reason which appeared in her conversation astonished every judicious observer. But her most admirable qualities were her humility and modesty, which, notwithstanding her great internal and external excellencies, rendered her diffident, mild, bashful, and tractable. Her heart seemed as free from defects as her understanding was from the follies which in a degree are incident to almost every other person. Miss Melvin and her little companion received a considerable increase of happiness from the present of books Mr. Hintman had made them. The latter had no wish but that Miss Melvin might receive equal indulgence from parents that she enjoyed from one who bore no relation to her. The first desire that occurred to her on Mr. Hintman's profuse presence of money was to treat her friend with masters for music and drawing and such other things as she knew she had an inclination to learn. But as she was not unacquainted with her delicacy on that subject, as soon as Mr. Hintman left her, she ran to Miss Melvin with some of the impatience in her countenance, though she endeavoured to conceal it, with which her heart was filled, and tried every tender caress, every fond and humble petition, to obtain a promise from that young lady that she would grant her a request she had to make. She hung round her neck, and endeavoured to prevail by a thousand engaging infantine arts, and when she found they would not succeed, she knelt down before her, with all the grace and importunity of the most amiable suppliant, tried to win her to compliance. Nothing would avail, for Miss Melvin was convinced by her earnestness that her design was to confer some favour. She knew the generosity of her youthful mind too well to believe she so ardently aimed at anything that was for her own private gratification. Thus Louisa found herself reduced to explain the use she intended to have made of the promise she wanted to obtain, and having acquainted Miss Melvin with Mr. Hintman's generous allowance, and of the payment she had received of the first quarter, 
she in explicit terms told her, Mr. Hintman has indeed given me money, but it depends on you to make the money yield me pleasure, by suffering me to apply it to such uses as will procure me the inexpressible joy of contributing in some degree to the pleasure of one who renders my life so very happy. Miss Melvin was so pleased with the generosity of her little pupil, that she gave her as many caresses as the other had lavished on her, in order to obtain the promise she so much wished for but she could not be induced to grant her request. Miss Melvin was void of that pride which often conceals itself under the name of spirit and greatness of soul, and makes people averse to receiving any obligation, because they feel themselves too proud to be grateful, and think that to be obliged implies an inferiority which their pride cannot support. Had Louisa been of the same age with herself, she would have felt a kind of property in all she possessed, friendship, the tenure by which she held it. For where hearts are strictly united, she had no notion of any distinction in things of less importance, the adventitious goods of fortune. The boundaries and barriers raised by those two watchful and suspicious enemies, Meum and Tum, were in her opinion broke down by true friendship, and all property laid in one undistinguished common. But to accept Miss Mansell's money especially in so great a proportion, appeared to her like taking advantage of her youth, and as she did not think her old enough to be a sufficient judge of the value of it, she did not look upon her as capable of being a party in so perfect a friendship as was requisite to constitute that unity of property. Poor Louisa, by this disappointment of the first wish of her heart, found what older people often experience, that her riches instead of pleasure procured her only mortification. She could scarcely refrain from tears at a refusal, which she thought must arise from want of affection, and told Miss Melvin she saw that she loved her but imperfectly, for, added she, could we change places, with how much pleasure should I have accepted it from you? And the satisfaction that learning these things now gives me would be turned into delight by reflecting on the gratification you had received in having been the means of procuring them for me. I should not envy you the joy of giving, because I as receiver should not have the less share of that satisfaction, since by reflecting on yours I must partake of it, and so increase my own. Miss Melvin could not forbear blushing at finding a superior degree of delicacy, and a generosity much more exalted in one so young, than she had felt in herself. She plainly saw that the greatest proof of a noble mind is to feel a joy in gratitude. For those who know all the pleasures of conferring an obligation will be sensible that by accepting it they give the highest delight the human mind can feel when employed on human objects, and therefore, while they receive a benefit, they will taste not only the comforts arising from it to themselves, but share the gratification of a benefactor from reflecting on the joy they give to those who have conferred it. Thus the receiver of a favour from a truly generous person, by owing owes not, and is at once indebted and discharged. As Miss Melvin felt her little friend's reproach, and saw that she had done her injustice, in thinking her youth rendered her incapable of that perfection of friendship, which might justify the accepting of her offer, she acknowledged her error, 
and assured her she would comply if she had no other means of obtaining the instruction she proposed to purchase for her but that was not the case for she found she could very well learn from seeing the masters teach her and practising in their absence mr hintman expressed a desire that miss mansell should learn italian if she had no objection to it for he never dictated to her but offered any advice he had to give or any inclination which he chose to intimate with the humility of a dependent rather than the authority of a benefactor and indeed it was sufficient for the slightest hint that anything would be agreeable to him met with the most impatient desire miss mansell to perform it actuated by sincere affection and the strongest gratitude nothing made her so happy as an opportunity to show him the readiness of her obedience but as they were at a loss for a master to teach her that language miss melvin told them she knew an italian gentleman who had been at sir charles's house near two months before she had the misfortune of losing the best of mothers lady melvin had begun to teach her daughter italian but desirous that she should speak it with great propriety she invited this gentleman to her house who was reduced to great distress of circumstances and whose person as well as his many virtues she had known from her childhood he had been a friend of her father's and she was glad of this excuse for making him a handsome present which otherwise it was not easy to induce him to accept mr hintman was not long before he procured this italian master for miss mansell nor did she delay making use of his instructions but i shall not describe her progress in the acquisition of this any more than her other accomplishments in all of which she excelled to a surprising degree nor did miss melvin fall very short of her though she was at such disadvantage in her method of learning many of them not having the assistance of a master their time was so entirely engrossed by these employments that they had little leisure and still less desire to keep company with the rest of the school but they saved themselves from the dislike which might naturally have arisen in the minds of the other scholars from being thus neglected by little presents which miss mansell frequently made them these two young ladies were very early risers and the time which was not taken up by miss mansell's masters and that wherein it was requisite to practise what they taught her they employed in reading wherein mr davra their italian master often accompanied them mr davra was a man of excellent understanding and had an incomparable heart misfortunes had softened common humanity into a most tender disposition and had given him a thorough knowledge of mankind without lessening his benevolence for individuals though such as learn it by adversity the surest school for that science seldom see them in an amiable light mr davra was not less acquainted with particular nations than with mankind in general he had travelled through all the countries in europe some parts of asia and africa and having traversed them with discernment and the curiosity of wisdom not of impertinence he received such improvement of understanding as few travellers can boast he had an affection for miss melvin both for her own merits and the obligations he had to her family and a very short acquaintance with miss mansell made him extremely fond of her he took great pleasure in assisting them in the improvement they so industriously laboured for and as he was a man of universal knowledge 
he was capable of being very useful to them in that respect. For this purpose he often read with them, and by explaining many books on abstruse subjects, rendered several authors intelligible to them, who without his assistance would have been too obscure for persons of their age. He had very few scholars, therefore had much leisure, and with great satisfaction dedicated part of it to our young ladies, as he saw he thereby gave them a very sincere pleasure, and he was much gratified with thinking that by his care and instruction of Miss Melvin, he made some return for the friendship he had received from her family, and that could her mother be sensible of his attendance on her much-loved and now neglected daughter, it would be highly agreeable to her. In the manner I have mentioned, these two young ladies passed their time, till Miss Mansell reached her fifteenth year, with little alteration, except the increase of her charms, and her great improvement in every accomplishment. Her appearance began to grow womanly. She was, indeed, in the bloom of beauty's pride, dazzlingly handsome at first view, but such numerous and various charms appeared on a more intimate acquaintance, that people forgot how much they had been struck by the first sight of her, lost in wonder at her increasing attractions, to the force of which she was the only person that was insensible. Humble piety rendered her indifferent to circumstances which she looked upon rather as snares than blessings, and like a person on the brink of a precipice, could not enjoy the beauty of the prospect, overawed by the dangers of her situation. She had indeed too much of human nature in her, not to feel sometimes a little flush of vanity on seeing herself admired, but she immediately corrected the foible, by reflecting that whatever advantages of mind or form had fallen to her share, they were given her by one who expected she should not suffer her thoughts or attention to be withdrawn thereby from him, who was the perfection of all excellence, while she at best could but flatter herself with being less imperfect than many of her fellow-creatures. She considered flattery and admiration as the rocks on which young people, who are at all superior to the multitude, are apt to be wrecked, deprived of quiet happiness in this world, and exalted felicity in the next. And thus she was really convinced that she had only a few obvious external advantages over others, she opposed to the praises lavished on her, reflections of her imperfections, which, though not apparent to any one but herself, she verily believed were uncommonly great, as she beheld them with very scrutinising and rigid eyes, while she looked on those of others with the greatest lenity. But of all the means she used to preserve her humility, she was the most assiduous in praying to him who made her heart to preserve it humble. Though the degree of piety I mention may sound in the ears of many too grave for so young a person, yet it by no means rendered her so, she had great vivacity, a lively imagination, an uncommon share of wit, and a very happy manner of expressing herself. She had all the amiable gaiety of youth, without the least tendency to imprudence, and when she talked most, and in appearance, let fancy assume the reins, said nothing to repent of. Her heart was all purity, universal benevolence and good nature, and as out of its abundance her mouth spake, she was in little danger of offending with her tongue. It is not strange that Mr. Hintman's fondness should increase with Miss Mansell's excellencies, 
but the caresses which suited her earlier years were now become improper and mr hintman by appearing insensible of the necessary change of behaviour reduced her to great difficulties she could not reconcile herself to receiving them and yet to inform him of the impropriety implied a forward consciousness which she was not able to assume she communicated the vexation of her mind to miss melvin who was still more alarmed as her superior age and experience rendered her more apprehensive but she knew not what to advise in this dilemma miss melvin had recourse to their good friend whose knowledge of mankind his integrity and prudence rendered him the safest guide accordingly one day when louisa was called from them to mr hintman who came to make her a visit miss melvin informed mr davra of the reason why her friend obeyed the summons with less joy than he had observed in her on the like occasion the year before mr davra was much disturbed at this information but not choosing to increase the uneasiness the young lady seemed to be under till he had made certain foundation for his opinion he only intimated that customs were hard to break but he should hope that when mr hintman reflected on the impropriety of behaving to a young woman as if she were still a child he would alter it and if he was not immediately sensible of the difference a small addition of age makes yet her behaviour would lead him to recollect it although mr davra seemed to pay little regard to what miss melvin said yet it made great impression on him and as soon as he left her he took all proper measures to inquire into the character and usual conduct of mr hintman this scrutiny did not turn out at all to his satisfaction every account he received was the same he had not the pleasure of finding what is usually asserted that all men have two characters for mr hintman had but one and that the most alarming that could be for miss mansell every person told him that mr hintman had a very great fortune which he spent entirely in the gratification of his favourite vice the love of women on whom his profuseness was boundless that as he was easily captivated so he was soon tired and seldom kept a woman long after he had obtained the free possession of her but generally was more bountiful than is customary with men of his debauched principles at parting with them this mr davra was assured was mr hintman's only vice that he was good-natured and generous on all occasions from this account he saw too great reason to fear that all the care which had been taken to improve miss mansell arose only from a sort of epicurism in his predominant vice but yet this was too doubtful a circumstance to be the groundwork of any plan of action a man of acknowledged generosity and good nature however vicious might do a noble action without having any criminal design in this uncertainty of mind he knew not what to advise her and was unwilling to excite such fears in the breasts of these two young friends as might be groundless but yet would entirely destroy their peace therefore he only told miss melvin in general terms that mr hintman's character was such as rendered it very necessary that louisa should be much on her guard but that whether more than prudent caution and decent reserve were requisite her own observation must discover for no one else could determine that point since he had the reputation of being generous as well as debauched therefore his actions towards her might be and he hoped were the result of his greatest virtue 
rather than of his predominant vice. Miss Melvin made a faithful report of what Mr. Davra had said to her, which filled both herself and her friend with inexpressible uneasiness. Louisa was in great difficulty how to act, between gratitude and affection on the one side, and necessary caution and reserve on the other. She was almost as much afraid of appearing ungrateful as of being imprudent. She found little assistance from the advice of her friends, who declared themselves incapable of directing her. Therefore she was obliged to lay aside all dependence on her own care, and to trust in that of heaven, convinced that her innocence would be guarded by that power who knew the integrity and purity of her heart, and that while she preserved it unblemished, even in thought and inclination, her prayers for his protection would not be unavailing. End of section 4 Recording by Florence